Hey there, get ready to listen to the affairs of the black diasporas. You are about to learn, live, and enjoy life lessons we black people have experienced throughout history. Welcome to Unlocking Our Voices, where we seek to unify the black diasporas, eradicate inequality, racial profiling, and the general lack of respect. Let's open our mouths and minds with your host, Greg Fuller. Hello, beautiful black people, wherever you may be in the world. I hope that your Monday is of brighter days. But if it is not, rest assured that such tribulation is only temporary. So hold steadfast in your work and faith that such bad times shall pass. Now, today is Monday, and a lot has happened since our last conversation on the Black Diaspora. And so I would like to acknowledge the loss of lives that were taken in Libya over a week ago. We don't hear much attention. We don't see flags flying half high, and we don't see on the social media We stand with you, Libya. Even though roughly about 30,000 plus are now believed to be dead after torrents of rain ripped through the eastern parts of Libya, a devastating toll that could have largely have been avoided. We know global warming is on the rise but also because Libya is a country that the West does not pay attention to, and we don't have a lot of Western media coverage on Libya or that of the African continent. But make no mistake, Libya is an African nation that has been destabilized by Europe and the United States since the brutal killing of Pan-Africanist leader Muammar Gaddafi on October the 20th, 2011. So let us not forget that Libya is in such devastation right now, even though it's a natural disaster and so forth. But when Gaddafi was alive, He made sure that he took care of Libya. He made sure that he took care of crisis within his nation. And now Libya is a forgotten, destabilized country by the Europeans and the the Americans. But welcome to Unlocking Our Voices, where we focus specifically on the black diasporas, the culture, the people, their stories, their issues, injustices, and the varying measures used to prolong our oppression and marginalization. Our aim is to connect peoples of the black diasporas in new and exciting ways, equipping them with the tools, the platform, and access that allows them to trace their history, and also point to how an understanding of the past influences 
the very present that they live in, ultimately impressing upon them that they hold the keys to shaping their own future by way of dialogue and working together and by means of face-to-face or virtual constructive conversation. We seek to evolve and enhance ourselves spiritually, mentally, socially, politically, and economically. Shout, Black Liberation, yeah. Yes, that was the late Dennis Brown coming at you with those conscious music of Black Liberation. And, you know, that is one of the the beauty of the Jamaican culture. You know, we have such a wide genres of music. And I love listening to the conscious, positive upliftment music of black Jamaicans of the African roots. And so we see Dennis Brown singing Black Liberation. And with that in mind of Black Liberation, we see that the independence of the states on the African continent in the last century has not delivered the hope for improvement to its people globally. That is the sad reality. Adding to this disappointing development, Europe and the United States through structural adjustment programs known as aid and neo-colonialism exploitation have not succeeded in fulfilling its promise either for a strong and developed Africa But don't worry, my friends, there is always hope for us black people globally because there is a movement going on consciously and unconsciously that black people are waking up in Africa. Black people are waking up in Latin America. Black people are waking up in these United States of America. And black people are waking up in the Caribbean. And they are waking up through the knowledgement of the different experiences combined with expert through knowledge sharing will allow for Africa and those within the diaspora to rise to their full potential. And we shall see a new renaissance of Africa emerging and its people emerging. 
And one of the things that's going to help to bring this about is, the, is again, is the independence of Africa. One of the only reasons in the, uh, that we in the West have never organized, we have hated our image and our African image. And because Africa has been in the hands of people who have created an image of Africa that's negative and hateful. And uh, proud of, of Africa, and we, we become proud of our African blood, our African heritage. And this is what is beginning to make the Africans in the Western Hemisphere today develop more race pride. And as, as this race pride develops, then it has a tendency to make us want to unite together and work together. And your Western imperialists and colonialists uh, consider this to be a grave threat, more threat than uh, communism or Marxism or socialism or anything else. The Africanism is what they consider to be the real threat. The organization of Afro-American unity sees the only hope uh, for the black man in America uh, in a strong Africa and, and the necessity of the Afro-American becoming uh, inseparably linked with the uh, overall program that is, that's existing on the African continent. The two problems must, go, must be solved together and the two forces must go forward together. And, and in so and in unifying Africa overall. That was Malcolm X Starkin in 1964. So on today's episode, I want to focus on Pan-Africanism. What is Pan-Africanism? And I learned of Pan-Africanism when I was in college, you know, attending Rutgers University. And I remember joining the socialist movement or the communist party or the communist movement when I was in, um, in college. And believe it or not, it is my exposure of reading, of reading of Che Guevara, of reading of Leon Trotsky, of, lead, of reading of Malcolm X, Fidel Castro, and all the great intellectuals and revolutionary leaders of the world that I came in contact with the ideology, the ideology of Pan-Africanism. And ever since I learned what Pan-Africanism means, I see my hope, I see the joy in terms of African people throughout the world. And so let's have a discussion on what is Pan-Africanism? And although decolonization has been achieved insofar as the goals of national political independence were realized in the 20th century, the need for African unity continues today because today we see the height of exploitation. Today we see the height of neocolonialism. Today we see the height of white supremacists. And so it is important for us to get a good understanding of what is Pan-Africanism. First and foremost, Pan-Africanism is the belief that people of African descent have common interests and should be unified. It is to create a sense of brotherhood and collaboration among all people of African descent, 
whether they live inside or outside of Africa. Because you see, even on the continent of Africa, many Africans don't have a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood of what it means to be African. And so it is important that we we teach them, we show them what Pan-Africanism means. Historically, though, Pan-Africanism has often taken the shape of political, economic, or cultural movement. There are many varieties of Pan-Africanism. However, in my interpretation, though, Pan-Africanists and Pan-Africanism envision a unified African nation where all people of the African diaspora can live. In more general terms, Pan-Africanism is the sentiment that people of African descent have a great deal in common, a fact that deserves notice and celebration of black people worldwide. And so when we look at Pan-Africanism, you know, we see black people in Jamaica, black people in the United States sometimes have a lack of sense of their African roots. They lack a sense of their African belonging. And it is up to us who has a consciousness of Pan-Africanism, who have a consciousness of Africa and all its variety in cultures, in language, and also in religion, right? We must learn to embrace Pan-Africanism. We must learn to embrace ourselves as black people. And when I say black people, you know, I don't want you to think I'm just talking about the mere, the mere pigmentation of your dark skin because um, blackness is much wider and deeper than, than, than just your pigmentation. Blackness is a variety of people coming or descendants of the African continent. All over the world you go, you find the shadiness of blackness varies in different texture and different complexion. So do not confuse blackness with just the mere darkness or brownness of one's skin because blackness is diverse. And keep in mind, blackness is the creation of all life there is. Without blackness, there wouldn't be anything else. But we see that because we live in this Western racialized world, the minority culture of this earth has corrupt humanity and have invented this concept of the social construction of race. And because of this social construction of race, we tend to function in that mood of it. Now, when we look at Pan-Africanism, the belief in Pan-Africanists first began in 
I want to say around the mid-19th centuries, a century in the United States, led by Africans living in the Western Hemisphere. And when I said led by Africans living in the Western Hemisphere, that's what we are. We are African people that are living in the Western Hemisphere. We are African people. And never forget that. Whether we live in the United States and you want to call yourself black Americans, we are still descendants of African people living in the United States. Whether you are in Jamaica, you are still African people living in Jamaica. Whether you are in Brazil, you are still African people living in Brazil. Whether you are in, say, Colombia, you are still African people living in the Colombia. So make no mistake about who you are and your descendants and where you're coming from. You are still African people in this part of the world. So when we look at Pan-Africanists, it started, as I said, in the mid 19th century, the, early of, the earliest of those Pan-Africanists were Martin Delaney and Alexandra, I believe, Crummel, if I'm correct. Both black Americans, though, but as I said, these are African people living in the United States. And then we had Edward from the West Indies, and in subsequent decades, perhaps the most prominent current of ideas that can be called Pan-Africanist or Pan-Africanism has been this Afrocentric movement that emerged, I believe, in the late 1980s in the United States. And this movement emphasized African modes of thoughts, culture as a collective or um, corrective to the long tradition of European culture and intellectual dominance, right? So we see that Afrocentrism start to embrace the Africanness and the African culture brainwash and whitewash our people. They have made them to see their culture, their belief as evil. So if people tell me you're a witch, I say yes, I'm a witch. <laughs> it's not a negative at all. They worked on our minds and that's why right now we are our own oppressors after they've left. <laughs> So if you ask anyone, why are we keeping quiet, they're going to say it's because we're ashamed of it. But it's not that. It's because there's a historical context that you couldn't tell because your family was in grave danger. But the demonization of the term witch or traditional healer, this came with um, the missionaries because they wanted to entrench Christianity. A worldview 
that condemned indigenous practices and indigenous religion, and by extension, indigenous culture, to a category that was meant to demonize what was there. So we when we also look at Pan-Africanism, Pan-Africanism too must be the embracement of African religion. Because for too long, for centuries, for centuries, Europeans have corrupted the African ideals and the African religion. And thus we have embraced Christianity. Thus we have embraced Islam. And we have rejected the African-based religion. We have rejected the African-based culture and have taken on our colonizers, our oppressors, their religion, their culture, their language. And so Pan-Africanism rejects those. Even though when we look at the early Pan-Africanism movements, we saw individuals such as um, Edward from the Caribbean use a religious zeal in terms of pushing Christianity throughout um, Africa. I reject that approach and is in more favor of African-based religion and spirituality. Only then the black race will find their true God. And when we look at Pan-Africanism, we can give credit to W.E.B. Du Bois as the father of modern Pan-Africanism. Even though he was in some ways an black elitist with his talented ten, throughout his long career though, Du Bois was one that advocated for the study of African study and African history. In the early 20th century, he was one of several scholars who studied Africa. His statement made at the turn of the 20th century that the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line was made with a Pan-Africanist sentiment in mind. However, among the more important Pan-Africanist thinkers, of the first decades of the 20th century was that of the Jamaican-born nationalist Marcus Messiah Garvey. In the years after World War I, Garvey championed the cause of African independence and emphasizing the positive attributes of black people's collective past and the beauty of themselves. His organization, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, known as the UNIA, boosts millions of members envisioning and then making plans for a return back to Africa, right? So Garvey did not just preach Pan-Africanism. Garvey act on Pan-Africanism, Garvey's Black Star Line, a shipping company established in part to transport blacks, black 
back to Africa as well as to facilitate global black commerce was ultimately, in some ways, sabotage. Garvey truly epiphanized the meaning of Pan-Africanism. Follow, 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 Marcus Garvey footstep. <laughs> yes, and if we were to follow Marcus Garvey footstep, as Burning Spear singing just now, we would be a better group of people. We would be a better race of people had we hold dear to Garvey's ideology, to Garvey's philosophy. Because when you look at around the world today, you know, no message still stands strong as Garvey, as Marcos Messiah, Garvey. His message still resonates with us black people today. And anywhere you go in the world, Marcos Messiah, Garvey is known. And so we have to look back to our heroes, because even though they have sabotaged them, they have killed them, they have marginalized them, their ideologies and their message still live on. And so you can kill the man, but you cannot kill his ideology once it takes root, begins to grow and spread. So despite their origin, right, Pan-Africanism, despite their origin outside the United States, such as Pan-Africanist thinkers drew many of their ideas from black American culture. Furthermore, individuals like James and Podmore reside in the United States for a significant period of time. And these are Pan-Africanist individuals that I'm referring to, referring to an exchange of ideas about Africa and people of African descent took place between those intellectuals and black Americans. With black Americans taking the lead, it was in many ways a black Atlantic intellectual community in terms of fostering Pan-Africanism and Pan-Africanist growth. We see Du Bois, we see um, John Henry Clark, we see Claude McCain, we see Langston Huge. All of these black individuals begin to embrace their blackness. They begin to look to Africa 
and begin to form a true Pan-Africanist ideology and beliefs of themselves. By the late 1940s, black American intellectuals living in the United States took the leadership first of this movement, but thereafter we see continental Africans took it over. That was due in part of the leftist or communist sympathies of many Pan-Africanist advocates, as in the late 1940s and early 50s, the United States was in the midst of a red scare when Americans were, that Americans with communist affiliation or sympathies were actively persecuted and imprisoned. So we see the freedom of expression and the freedom of speech that is protected by the Constitution was not applied to black people and to those who have leftist view. The most important figure of this period was Kwame Nkuma of Ghana, who took up and embraced Pan-Africanism, who believed that European colonization rule of Africa would soon be exhausted if Africans would unite politically and economically. Kuma went on to lead the movement for independence in Ghana, which came to fruition in 1957. Many African-Americans cheered those developments in Africa. We need leaders once again, like Gavi. We, we need leaders again, like Kwame Nkuma. And we see some glimpse of hope, you know, on the African continent, because black people on the African continent are rising up. When we look at Pan-Africanism today and Pan-Africanist cultural thinking, we see a re-emerge with renewed forces in the United States in the late 1960s and 1970s as one of the, magnific the, the magnificent of the black power movement emerged. By the late 1970, it had become relatively common for black Americans to investigate their African cultural roots and adapt African forms of cultural practice, especially African style of dress. We need more of that today because when you look at Western culture and its corruption of the African culture, not only in the United States, but also in the Caribbean. Black people have lost some of their values, some of their African cultural norms. And it is important that we remind them that we are African people with culture. We are African people with values. And so we have to look back to our African self and embrace our African unity. Because one of the greatest things 
that the minority culture of this world fear is black unity. Black unity they fear tremendously. The freedom singers were singing the song Oginga Odinga because Oginga Odinga is one of the foremost freedom fighters on the African continent. At the time he visited in Atlanta, Georgia, I think, it, I think he was then the Minister of Home Affairs in Nairobi, in uh, Kenya. But since Kenya became a republic uh, last week and Jomo Kenyatta uh, ceased being the Prime Minister and became President, the same person that you are singing about, Oginga Odinga, is now Kenyatta's vice president. He's the number two man in the Kenya government. And the fact that you would be singing about him, to me, is quite significant. Two or three years ago, this wouldn't have been done. Two or three years ago, most of our people would choose to sing about someone who was, you know, passive and meek and humble and forgiving. But Oginga Odinga is not passive. He's not meek. He's not humble. He's not nonviolent. But he's free. And so when we look at Pan-Africanism, you know, Pan-Africanism should not be rooted just in ideology. Pan-Africanism must be rooted in action. And Pan-Africanism means to me Wherever the black man is being oppressed, we have an active duty to support and to help liberate those black people or any black people who is being oppressed by whatever means necessary. That is also Pan-Africanism, not just the ideology of preaching it, but also the belief and action on Pan-Africanism. Pan-Africanism is alive in contemporary time in Africa and also around the world. The African Union is just one of many examples to promote continental cooperation, common joint military force to send to conflict zone and regularly debates the pros and cons of a greater unification of Africa. But let not be mistake, the African Union must be careful and not let Europe or America influence their decision. When we look at the African diaspora, maintains bond maintains bonds with continent through, um, through culture, politics, economics, and also through family. The amount transfer from Western society into remittance in which African people are sending money back to Africa. But sending those money back to Africa must be used in strategic way to help build black communities within Africa to help support prudent political leadership in Africa. When I think of Pan-Africanism, Pan-Africanism, we do not embrace tribalism. 
because tribalism cannot benefit African nations in terms of unifying themselves. When we look at Pan-Africanism, we cannot embrace tribal political affiliation because that cannot unify the African people. We must look at Pan-Africanism in all its forms when it comes to unification. Also, when we look at Pan-Africanism, we have to look at Afrocentric philosophies and practice such as Kwanzaa that keep alive African values for generation who may never set foot on the African soil. Political organization is also important. African countries must keep connection with black countries in the Caribbean and black countries in Latin America and black affiliations and organization in the United States. When we look at Pan-Africanism today, it is alive in its arts and culture, our essential tread running through all African communities today. An example of the power and influence of Pan-Africanism is the interlink of the musical dynasty of Africans' descendants and African um, culture and music, such as Afrobeats, jazz, blues, soul, samba, um, um, soca, calypso, reggae, rap, hip-hop. Those are all Africanists and Afrocentric and Africanism or or Pan-Africanism build and unification that is important. And we should never leave those things out. And when you look at all of those genres of music, they dominate the global cultural landscape. Our music is more impactful than any other culture, but we have to change the language. We have to change the message in order to reach our people because it is important for us to have the spiritual connection in our music, the creativity of positiveness and growth in our music. So Pan-Africanism is alive and well today. We just have to use it in the right form to get to our people globally. So I hope you have learned a little bit more about Pan-Africanism and the importance of its meaning and what it means in, in the future and for new leaders to coming up. I hope this episode has helped you learn more about Pan-Africanism and its importance. Pan-Africanism, as I stated, cannot be a mere ideological beliefs, but it must be rooted in actions, in its political, racial, economic, and spiritual drive. So let us start a new chapter of partnership, fellowship, brotherhood, sisterhood, spiritual strength, racial unification for political power, economic might, and a united Africa. For as we look back in the past, disunity and confusion 
has been our biggest weakness. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope I've encouraged you to learn more about Pan-Africanism. Now, please do stay connected on our social media. Check out our Instagram. Check out our TikTok. Because as always, we have some thought-provoking content on those platforms. Stay connected for our next episode where we will dive deep into another fascinating topic that will help unlocking the voices as the Black diaspora. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful rest of your week. If you enjoyed Unlocking Our Voices, recommend us and let's grow our conversations, community, and power. Stay tuned for our next episode and don't forget to sign up for our notifications. Find us on social media at Unlocking Our Voices and on our website at www.unlockingourvoices.com. Thanks for listening and helping to amplify the voices of the Black diasporas.